So welcome back to the After Ellen podcast. I'm your host, Jocelyn McDonald, Editor-in-Chief at After Ellen, and we have a very exciting episode today. We are speaking with Eileen Chaikin. Every lesbian will know this name. She is the producer and showrunner of The L Word. And, you know, you may not know this about uh, her work, but she's actually been showrunner, executive producer, writer, director on a lot of other really big name projects like Empire and uh, The Handmaid's Tale, and most recently, Law and Order organized crime, which is actually what we are going to be talking to Eileen about today. So Eileen, welcome. Congratulations on getting renewed for season two. Thank you. I'm thrilled and horrified. Horrified? Tell us more. (laughs) 22 episodes. That's a lot of episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And this first season was kind of just to dip your toes in the water with it. You had eight episodes and and COVID. I mean, I didn't have COVID, but we all had COVID. Mm-hmm. So um, it was particularly challenging. I'm so glad that you, um, you, that was actually one of my biggest questions for you. You know, when I saw the first few episodes, I was like, they are doing this, they're, they're, they're filming this as if it's in the real world and happening right now. And I guess how else would you with a franchise like SVU mm-hmm. and Law and Order that's always been done that way? But, you know, when you look at stuff like Grey's Anatomy did the same thing this season and their season was whack. Like it was all. I mean, in fairness, they're a medical show, so they had to talk about COVID constantly. But, you know, my question Mm -hmm. for you is just how did you find the balance in having COVID be part of the plot and yet not creating fatigue for the audience because we we deal with these conversations all day in real life and then we turn our TVs on and <laughs> have to deal with it again. <laughs> well, I hope we didn't create fatigue, but I think, you know, you you nailed the first part of it which is law and order as a franchise has always talked about the world as it is and the you know the most current moment in time and it's always a little bit of a danger because we always shoot a little ahead of the time we air and we kind of took a wild chance that covid wasn't going away anytime soon and i think we um we lucked out yeah (laughs) Uh, odd odd for that to Um, be a lucky thing but yes you took a chance and it paid off Yeah. Um, But that said, um, you know, I hope that the stories we told just worked on their own merits without being about COVID and were mostly, you know, I mean, COVID is, if you will, the MacGuffin, the crime, but our stories are about people Mm -hmm. and character and that's what keeps them compelling. And I'm hoping that that's why we were able to do what we Mm -hmm. did. So when I heard from NBC when I first got the press release that this show was going to come out. I thought being about organized crime that it would be about the mob and it would be about Italians. Um, And what I I was really excited in the first episode because the fact that a very crucial plot point hinges on um, vaccinations being stolen and redistributed to the rich. And so there's these elements of big tech, of um, big tech being used to swindle 
um, mm-hmm. you know, individual people, the, the the little guy in in service to and benefit of the most powerful. So you're really taking all of these very relevant issues. It's really not just about mm-hmm. like, you know, who took my cannoli or whatever, the, you know, that we might have been uh, expecting. Well, thank you for saying that more articulately more articulately than I could have. But yes, I mean, that's that's what drew me to the show. And that's what, you know, me mashed up with organized crime turns out to be. Um, it's also what the Wolf folks came to me to do, um, you know, to make a show that speaks to um, the world in a, in a slightly different way through a different prism. Mm-hmm. And um so talk to us a little bit more about that. So how did you, you know, you spoke a bit about what drew you to this project and why they chose you. Tell us just a bit more about um, how, you know, when did you first start getting into talks about developing this show and how did it go through the green light process? So um, it came about unexpectedly. And for me, it never went through the green light mm. process. Um, there was originally someone else doing the show and for any number of reasons, this happens often in my business, um, he moved on and they needed someone else to come in, to step in, not just to take over, but really you know, to create the show. And um, it already had a commitment, an on-air commitment, a date that had been pushed back several times, and a very large and eager mm-hmm. audience that was waiting for it, that was clamoring for it. So. Um, you know, when I jumped in, it was a fast moving train and I just jumped on board with a bunch of new ideas and some ideas that were bequeathed to me and molded it all into the story that it became. But um, it really came out of the blue. I was working on the L word, um, you know, the, not the as reboot. the showrunner, the mm-hmm. reboot, not as the showrunner, but as a producer and a um, you know, a colleague and collaborator. And I also have a couple of other projects that I was writing that were moving forward at a very lovely pace. And this was just, I mean, really a couple of months before the show actually debuted, I got the phone call, would you be up for this? Mm-hmm. It was right in the middle of COVID. It was right when everybody was figuring out how the hell we were going to make television in the middle of yeah. all of this. And it, it was really unexpected. And I, like, uh, you know, the day before I got the phone call, I never imagined that I would be doing anything like this. And it was utterly intriguing. I've always loved Law and Order. I just, I, I mean, I, I don't know why exactly, except that the shows are good. They're so compelling. And it's one of the few network shows that I've ever mm-hmm. watched. I mean, I think you're not alone, especially among lesbians. People, uh, lesbians love Law and Order, and not for nothing, but having strong female heroines and pushing stories where yeah. women are at the center and women's issues are discussed yes. openly. Of course, that's going to attract a lesbian audience. Well, the, and there are always strong females at the, you know, in, in one of the significant roles. And I would put to you, and this might be a heresy to say, but those women all have kind of a cool uh-huh. and that's and, and you know I don't think it's intentional but I've always found that and it's one of the reasons I watched the show yeah absolutely I agree um I love the new character so we 
we we jumped into this conversation so quickly. We did not provide those read uh, those listeners. Gosh, are we a podcast or are we an article? What's <laughs> happening? Um, we did not provide listeners with it with um, an elevator pitch to get those of us who haven't seen it up to speed. So um, we have Detective Stabler, who is from Law and mm-hmm. Order SVU. His wife was murdered, and ten years ago. So he is now back in New York um, with the opportunity to investigate those responsible for his wife's death. Did I, did I sum that up? Well, I would, I would flip that okay. slightly. He left SVU, the show and the precinct, the mm-hmm. unit, 10 years ago, kind of unceremoniously. He just disappeared. The fans have mourned the loss of him all of this time, and he hasn't been seen for 10 years. 10 years later, he and his wife come back. And she's murdered. So she's murdered in the okay, press. Right, 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 right. Okay, I literally had a yeah. fight with a friend of mine last night because we were we we, we had, I that's how I thought the episode went. But he was like, "No, I'm a Law and Order fan. I know things about it." Like, bro, you're out of it. Your friend is <laughs> wrong. So wrong. Your friend. Is I can't wrong. wait to make fun of him. And that happened. That happened in an SVU episode. So it was a crossover uh, yes, episode where, yes. where the Stabler storyline was mm-hmm. introduced. So Stabler is back in New York after 10 years, and his wife is murdered, recently murdered, and he's going to find out who mm-hmm. did it. And his commanding officer is this badass, butchy, edgy. She's she's not butch, but she's got a butch edge. She's She's got um <laughs> that particular type of authority that don't fuck with me vibe that like is particular to lesbians. We kind of own that. We, we trademarked it. Yeah. And then like some, you know, some straight women certainly pick it up. But like, that's yeah. kind of our thing. They, they learn from it's us. our brand. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 And and in fact, this character is an actual lesbian, not just some, you know, lesbian. An actual lesbian. lesbian. It's fantastic. So mm-hmm. tell us, um, you know, now that you, you have uh, 22 episodes coming in the next season, are we going to get to see um, a, a really intimate look at her character development or her, um, you know, what, are, what do we have to look forward to? Um, well, I, I can't tell you precisely. Good point. What okay, that's fair. To, but I <laughs> probably yes. get in trouble. <laughs> I mean, she is a, a major character in our show and a character with whom we will go mm-hmm. home. I mean, we have gone home with her a bit, but we'll, now that we've got a full season of, of stories to tell, we'll get to spend much more time with her, get to know her and her partner, wife, um, mother of her child. And um, yes, we'll we'll be able to explore that relationship as well as Stabler's, as well as the relationships of the bad guys they go up mm-hmm. against. And so, one, um, you know, the the first season is a what what is the word for that when it's a um, a single story arc and every episode deals with okay so in season two I mean no spoilers not asking for you to have any big reveals but we're we're gonna learn more about these characters that were introduced in season one are there gonna be significant mm-hmm. cliffhangers that everyone who's watching season one is gonna need to see, tune into season two or are we gonna wrap our relationship with like. We do a little bit okay. of both. Um, the stories, the, the show is serialized. The drama is serialized. The characters live in real time and the shows don't resolve within each episode. Although I'd like to think that each episode does stand on its mm-hmm. own. 
Um, but, um, you know, in season two and going forward, we'll always be telling a new story, but that doesn't mean that the characters we've introduced whom you met in season one won't reappear. Their stories aren't complete. There are some big cliffhangers tomorrow night, which is our finale. Um, And and I'm hoping that you will want to know how those cliffhangers resolve. (laughs) So um, I'm, I wanted to return a little bit to the discussion of filming in COVID times because, you know, I imagine this changed the process quite a bit and in the writer's room and in your position as showrunner, I mean, obviously you have to be on set, but to a degree, does a lot of your work become remote like the rest of us or? Yeah, it's really hard. Um, and I hope that it ends yeah. very soon, um, that, that part of it. So firstly, um, I've never not been on set mm-hmm. before on this show. I didn't go on set until the finale. I didn't. I made an entire, uh, not I, but many of us, but I did an entire season of television having never met a single one of my colleagues, not a writer, not a director, not an actor, not a producer. I met them all and worked with them all in the way I'm talking to you. I am. I want to cry. I feel so horrible for you, Eileen. Like I love television so much. And I think so much about um, how, how glorious and fun and fabulous it must be to be in a writer's room and, or to be on set. And yes, there's so many things going on. And um, um, I, I grew up in, uh, you know, my family actually made independent films. um, So I've been on movie sets before and I just love all the, different jobs and um, the dynamics between everyone. And there's a lot of sitting around and chatting and yeah, everybody um, has a job to do. And I just have been really worried about all my uh, TV, (laughs) the people who never met me, but who I consider to be a deep part of my life as I'm watching from home. But Mm -hmm. um, yes, everybody has, um, I, I had no idea that show running could be done remote. I mean, really, how could that job that is so you have your hands in every pie. You have a yeah. a pot on every well, burner. I mean, the, the, the part that I found most difficult was the writing mm-hmm. part. Just being in the room with other writers is an incomparable thing. And no matter how, you know, no matter how you slice it, it doesn't work the same way. We don't work the same way looking at one another in little boxes on the Mm-mm. screen. Um, but that's also how we had all of our production meetings. I mean, we would be looking at a screen just like this with 30 little boxes, you know, ev- someone from every department. Mm-hmm. Um, it worked. That worked reasonably well. But then not getting to be on set, not having that interaction, that opportunity to talk to actors and be there when they needed us and to answer the questions. Um, that was, that was a loss too, but it was also really thrilling that I finally got to go to set during our finale. Yeah. And, and so was that based on the availability of vaccinations and people having tested negative? Yes. And yeah. So it was all. It was entirely vaccinations. Um, I mean, I, I could have been on set um, had I, you know, adhered to the, the same protocols, but the protocols slow you down. And I couldn't 
produce those scripts and be on set at the same time. So, um, you know, I went once I was fully vaccinated and everyone else was fully vaccinated and I felt reasonably okay about getting on an airplane. Mm -hmm. I think I'm really just fixated on this vision of a writer's room happening over Zoom because there is, I mean, you'll, you'll know this as a writer, writing is the hardest job in the world. There's, it's harder than brain surgery. It's harder than rocket science. It's definitely more important. Wow. We, we really suffer. Um, For one thing we suffer as writers because being vulnerable is such a, 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 a miserable chore and you are, you're like, hey, I wrote this thing. I, I'm ready for you to critique it. I totally have a thick skin. This will be fine. And I can't imagine, mm-hmm. like, when you're in a room with other writers, you can, you can go in with that attitude of having a thick skin and of, of mutual play, where we're gonna have a back and mm-hmm. forth. And it's actually a degree to a degree, it's lighthearted and fun. And you know, we'll we'll make jokes with each other and we'll amp each other's writing up and the agreement that is unspoken is that is okay because we're all offering um, um, a similar level of vulnerability. We're all willing to bear our, you know, our precious writing and have it, have it potentially get changed or edited or, or altered by someone else. You can Mm -hmm. only, it seems like it's just the kind of thing that you could only do face to face, like breathing the same air, because it's this Mm -hmm. very intimate agreement that we're all going to trust each other to still, to to be able to say dumb things and and make bad jokes Mm -hmm. and maybe, yeah, because raw ideas are raw and sometimes bad. That's the whole thing with ideas. Yeah. And it's just communication flows differently. I mean, the fact is, this can be mm-hmm. done. A lot of writers have done it in the past year. And Clearly. It can be done, but it's, I mean, that's how every writer's room worked. But but it's not um, mm-hmm. ideal, and it's not as collegial or collaborative or creative or nurturing. Mm, nurturing. And those are all oof. conditions we need. Yes. Oof. Oof. Those are conditions that we need. That is so... Um, that is just so beautiful. And I, I know that, you know, as I already emphasized, writing is the most difficult and important job on planet Earth. But so many people from different pro- professions will be able to relate to that statement because of some of similar conditions of needing to be nurtured in needing and needing to be able to uh, to be authentic with one another. And it's really, really hard to do that over a screen. Um, yeah, I mean, at least we can see one another's expressions. It's so much easier to read tone, but there's really something about breathing the same air. I'm not sure whether this is a good or a bad thing, but it's also like, I'm a little discomforted by not knowing whether that guy is tall or short. Hmm. Yeah, that's, and it's like, I'm going to meet some of the writers I've worked with and have never met. And if they defy my, my 
internalized image of them now, it's going to really throw me that off. That is such a good point. And mm. it's going to it's going to illustrate how we make these micro judgments about one another that they're just information mm-hmm. you file away. They're not even information pertinent to working together, but they do inform yeah. your your beliefs about the person and then you meet them in real life. I do. And, yeah. Yeah. I like to know. I like to know what kind of shoes someone That wears. is, uh, I wear tifas. I'll just tell you that right now. I just got, I just got my summer okay. tifas and um yeah. all right good for you <laughs> i looked at some yesterday but i didn't oh them. well i i highly recommend they're very comfortable and uh anyway um so we we're running out of time eileen is there anything that i should have asked you that i did not I can't think oh, of anything, oh. but I'm happy to talk <laughs> yeah, to you. Well, I, I'm so happy to have you, and I could pretty much talk about TV endlessly. Um, I just, I, yeah, I want to be respectful of, of any time limitations you have. But if you don't have any, then let's keep chatting. Um, well, so I, I, I have, um, you know, I, I told my friends that I was going to talk to my TV idol, Eileen Chaikin, and they were like... Uh, you know, I told them I, I we have to keep it focused on law and order, and they were like, "You have a duty to the lesbian community. You have you have to ask her what's going to happen with Tibet and what what are what are her thoughts on Tibet." That is not your duty, nor is it my responsibility. Damn it! I had to I try. Won't, I won't. I won't say I have no control uh-huh. over it, but um. But but um, I don't have the ultimate authority any longer to make that decision. I will tell you and your friends, though, that they have a really thrilling, thrilling. journey this season. You hear that? Thrilling. She said thrilling. Ooh, ooh <laughs> I'm titillated. Um, yes, I I have enjoyed seeing all my, my old favorites um, back on the screen. I have to tell you, I don't know if I would have been... Um, bisexual for as long as I was if it hadn't been for the L word you know it really helped me to be like oh no I'm I'm a lesbian okay (laughs) so thank you so thank you for your service oh that's why we do it (laughs) yes um mm-hmm. so you know when we had first started our conversation about how you had been drawn into law and order you had t- you had mentioned that you had a, f- a bunch of product uh of projects that you were coming up with and so um with t- looking at a season with 22 episodes i mean where are you going to find the time eileen i'm going to find oh. it because there are projects that are important to me um they all have queer themes. I think most everything I do has some mm-hmm. queer themes. Um, but there are projects that I really love and I will, and I am finding the time to work on them. I, I have a big, long three-day holiday right now before I start season two of Law Just jumping Order, so. right in. Literally, the fi- finale is tomorrow. <laughs> They've given you three days. Wow. I guess that's network TV, huh? It's, it's like they really got to keep that schedule turning tight. Yeah. What can we expect um, for these lesbian and bisexual themes in, in Law and Order Organized Crime? We we have our um, main character as a lesbian. Well, one of the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we will always be telling stories that put our lives front and center. Um, I mean, the way that Elliot Stabler interacts with Ayanna Bell is a story that I'm interested in telling. 
the things they learn from one another. There will always be more gay characters. Um, as we are in the world, we will be in law and order organized crime. I feel like knowing that you're the showrunner is going to have lesbians coming out of the woodwork to be like, can I do a cameo? <laughs> have you gotten that so far? Bring it on. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I never okay. asked, but um, but bring it. I'm I'm here for That's it. That's fabulous. Yeah, I would love to see Tig or uh, you know, um, Kate McKinnon or somebody like I'm. I love. I would love. I'd that love a too. turn on, on organized crime. Um, okay, now now you got me right. Thinking. I think, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that we there's a lot that could be done here. Um, I was, yeah, I was delighted by the talent of the actors. I, um, you know, it's a it's a major network show, but um, having Dylan McDermott in the first season that seems like a big get. Like you're really starting with yeah. big names, not just the old characters that obviously have a dedicated following, but really coming in strong with good talent. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it starts with Chris Maloney, who is a stunningly mm-hmm. good actor. I mean, just just a, a remarkably gifted actor. And he set the bar, and everybody who came to join him um, is clearing the bar. It's really exciting to work with. That's Detective cast. Stabler for anyone who's not a dedicated viewer of SVU and, and or organized crime. So, yeah, so he came – he's the character that came back and kind of kicked off the crossover. Oh, that reminds me I had mm-hmm. – um, I had questions about reboots in general that I forgot to ask you because I got so excited about all the other things you were saying. So, um, mm-hmm. yes, there um, there have been a few reboots in your career, and this is kind of a, a very niche part of television. Um, I'm curious about how you... Um, you know, in this case, we we had the eight episodes set up that kind of allowed you to determine, is this going to be a big hit with audiences? Is this something that people are really into? But it's kind of a, a risk to take on something where there's already an expectation about the characters. And talk to us a bit about that. Um, it's a risk that I took on with Law and & Order, and it's a risk that Marge Lewis Ryan took on with The L Word. So I've seen it from both sides. Um, yeah. I feel a lot of responsibility to honor the the original character and to honor the fans' expectations while at the same time really wanting to tell a story that explores the you know, the ways in which the world has changed and the ways in which that character has changed with the world and in mm-hmm. the world. It's, as a writer, a really exciting proposition. Yeah. Um, I personally love detective stories. I love, um, I feel like that is going to, there, there's like a fundamental, um, crisis for young, for, for people in my age group, because, um, the popular thing is to say like, fuck the police and abolish the police and all these other, um, you know, hardline things in support of, deconstructing what is very obviously an exploitative system, but um, Mm -hmm. you cannot deny the appeal of a detective story. I dare you to uh, tell me some better TV than detectives. Like it won't happen. It's a great genre. No, it's a great genre and, and it's, it's alluring and it's also metaphorical. mm -hmm. So, I mean, all of those ideas and sentiments that you just, 
described can be taken on within the genre. Um, and it is in the first you know, episode whatever. of Law and Order, I mean, confronted. And, and I know that you are going to have to confront that in, in deep, in greater depth than other episodes. But right from the beginning, I mean, that theme comes up. Yeah. And it's, I mean, nobody wanted to tell a police story without taking on those themes. Um, you know, I think it's still controversial and challenging to even tell a police story, but it's a challenge that I welcome. I, um, I, I like being able to talk about all of these countervailing trends, mm-hmm. currents, I should say, not trends. Trends is, is, is much too trivializing, mm-hmm. but, um, No, I think that's articulate in a good way of putting it. I think that um, it really is uh, very compelling to our most basic instincts around safety and survival, because if you think of the the biggest um, trends in like podcasts and entertainment, it's like true crime. And if you look at like the gay, lesbian, bisexual community, I mean, the the young people in my age group and my sexual demographic are some of the people who are making the biggest content around crime. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So um, worst spinoffs in television history. Do you have any opinions? I'm, I'm not a television scholar, oh. so I don't, I don't really know. I, I, I watch, you know, a bit of television, but not a great wow. deal. Wow. How do you make so much television and not watch? I guess you don't have time because you're busy making it all. Yeah. Exactly. That's the answer. I mean, that's at least part of the answer. I remembered the breathtaking question. And uh, now that it's been really hyped up, well, (laughs) you may not find it that breathtaking. (laughs) But um, I was wondering if you saw the Amazon original show about the Nazi hunters. No. Oh, sis. No. Oh, you gotta you gotta check it out. You know why? Okay. There is a black oh. lesbian cop who has the same haircut as <laughs> our commanding officer, Ayanna well, Bell. That must be that's that's the black lesbian cop it's haircut. The, it's the thing. Only our uh, the black lesbian cop from the um from the television show on Amazon, Hunters, it's called is set in the 70s. So that just speaks to the timelessness right. of lesbian style. As we all know, lesbians are world-renowned for our incredible style. <laughs> we, are, we, we actually are. And, and talking to you is probably the mm-hmm. best. I mean, you of all people would know because the L word was so iconic in, in setting so many trends. But, you know, the stereotype is obviously that we have, we're all here in our Tevas, not being very fashionable. You know, the shade, the shade haircut is going to live in, I, I, not in infamy, I hope, but it will live on. Absolutely. So I, I recommend checking that show out. I think that is another great um, great one where the our, our impulses as a society to confront the over-policing mm-hmm. and the authority are really going to be in conflict with our desire to like put the bad guys away. <laughs> These are things no, that we... It's a great... It's a great conundrum to present Mm -hmm. us with on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. It's so cathartic. Mm -hmm. And we all want, I mean, that it calls to the most basic desire for there to be fairness for everyone to put the bad guys away. Yep. 
does. Well, um, thank you so much for your time, Eileen. I, I want to thank you again and um, for your incredible patience with me as my uh, scatterbrain is all over the place. Thank you <laughs> for your kind words and for watching Yes, yes. I'm excited to see how it turns out tomorrow and definitely excited to see what you guys will be able to do when you have so much more space to develop these characters and move forward. As all right. Well, thanks. And I hope I get to chat with you about all the other projects that I know that are in the hopper right now. I will talk to you about organized crime or any other oh, fantastic. project. Fantastic. Even though I almost broke the rules, I tried to break the rules. <laughs> but who would you be if you hadn't tried? To I break would the not. Rules I would not be. Uh, I would not be being loyal to the lesbian readers crying out for answers. <laughs> they are desperate to know. <laughs> but well, I guess it's going to be. Good. And we'll know in August. It's... the 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 date was finally released this week for yeah. L Word season two. Yeah, yeah it's going to be great. Yeah. So come for Tibet, stay for one. Yes. Well, I will I will try to get you back on the podcast during that time. So thanks again. All right. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. Bye-bye.